I'm a bride. <laughs> Praise God. Isn't it good to start the week with the Lord? Yeah. We're going to carry on with our study this morning with, with, with the book of Revelation. And, uh, uh, I just want to do a bit of a recap to cover some of the important truths that uh, we looked at last week. And uh, I want to pick it up in, in, in verse 4, chapter 15. It says, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring you glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And I, I, we looked at the fact that, that phrase, who will fear you, O Lord? One of the things that the modern church has lost is the fear and the dread of the Lord. Remember, we looked at the fact that when God came to visit his people, he wanted to introduce himself uh, to the people of Israel and he, he came down on the mountain and the people were absolutely terrified and in Exodus 20, 20 God said, do not Moses said to him, don't, do not be afraid God has come to test you so that, this is the purpose so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning and so the fear of God is actually a blessing because it keeps men from sinning and that was the whole purpose that, that God appeared in such fashion to the children of Israel when he was making his introduction to the people of God. It was so that they would fear God and that, that fear was to keep them from sin. When, when the church loses the fear of God, it goes into apostasy. How many can look at, look at what's happening in the universal church today and see a lack of reverence, a lack of respect, a lack of fear for God in the world today? Yes. Very much the case. And I believe it's because we, we, we do not fear the Lord like we uh, ought to. So the fear of God keeps us from sinning. You lose that in the church apostasy. Then we looked at Psalm 36 and verse 1. It says, and I, I, I love the living Bible. I think it expresses it so beautifully. It says, sin lurks deep in the hearts of the wicked, forever urging them on to evil deeds. They have no fear or dread of God to hold them back. What, trying to say that uh, that was the Living Bible, Psalm 36 and verse 1. I think it really encapsulates how the, how the wicked are driven by sin uh, and, and their lack of fear from God certainly makes this whole thing go. So, so sin is gaining traction in the world today simply because the church has stopped preaching about the wrath of God, stopped preaching about judgment. You don't hear messages about hell or anything like that today. It's all about prosperity, and I thank God I believe in the prosperity message, but it's prosperity for a purpose, not so that you can get rich to build the kingdom. And, you know, it, there are many good truths in the, in, in the scriptures, but we also need to be talking about the, the fear of God. We need to be talking about God's judgment. We need to be talking about heaven and hell, because these things keep the church in a strong and healthy environment. I think to a large point, uh, portion, the, the, the church has forgotten what the prophets have said. And I, I love that, that verse in Nahum, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. I've read it to you a couple of times, but I'm going to read it again just because I love it. I think it's awesome. Remember Nahum, chapter 1 and verse 3, and I'm reading it from the New, New Living Translation. It says, The Lord is slow to get angry. Aren't you glad about that? He's slow to get angry, uh, but His power is great. And He never lets the guilty go unpunished. Never. 
That's, that's the divine imperative. God is going to hold us accountable for all wrongdoing. That's why we need a Savior. Christian and saint alike, God is going to punish sin. And when you sin, even as a Christian, you've got to get back to God and ask His forgiveness. Because if you don't, guess what's coming? God's judgment. And it's God's judgment comes upon the Christian who, who sins and does wrong because God lovingly wants to correct and change us. So it's really important that we understand that, that God never lets the guilty go unpunished. Yeah. I think it, we should under, uh, 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 underscore that particular verse. So how do you know, we looked at, if, if you fear God? What, what was the one answer that we said, you know you fear God if you are... Anybody remember? If you're obedient. Obedient. Amen. Absolutely. If you do what God tells you, if you're obedient. So when God tells us something by, by the scriptures or a vision or a revelation, the question is, are we obedient? If we're not, we don't fear God and guess what's coming? Judgment or correction will fall upon us. And we saw the difference between Jonah and, and Paul. How, how Jonah had his own agenda. God tasked Jonah with, with a job to do go and preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah thought, no, I'm, I'm not going to go and do that. And he tried to run in the opposite direction. He had his own reasons. He had his own purposes for disobeying God. But how many know that Jonah dishonored the Lord? He was an unfaithful prophet. And as a result, judgment rose up and he was thrown in, in, into the, the, the overboard. And I think if it hadn't been for his self-sacrifice, that God would have found himself another prophet to go and preach to another. But because he uh, uh, voluntarily uh, surrendered his life, God uh, had prepared a, a great fish uh, because he's omniscient and knows all things. So, very important, that, that the difference. Disobedience is a dangerous thing. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5 and verse 6? He said, Let no man deceive you. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Disobedience brings the wrath of God every time into our life. When God gives you a word or a vision, we better be completely obedient to what God says. Paul, on the other hand, was obedient. Remember when he's standing before King Agrippa and he says, uh, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, God, whatever God told him to do, Paul was willing to fulfill it and he did it straight away. Paul had a healthy fear of God and when God spoke, he obeyed. We can't say that of Jonah. So we need to be obedient unto the Lord. So do not compromise, don't. Support compromise. Walk away because a little leaven leavens the whole life. We get infected when we hang around people who uh, compromise. And we looked at Proverbs 16 and 6, remember? By mercy and truth, uh, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. How many would think that this is one of the main messages of the church? If men depart from evil because of the fear of the Lord. I think it's an ongoing problem in every generation. And the answer is the fear of God. And the church has battled for decades and never spoken about the fear of God. We must bring back the fear and the dread of the church before it's too late. We looked at, uh, the, uh, at leaders who, who compromised and uh, you know, we said it's, it's a really dangerous thing. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We also looked at, at, at the Greek word 
uh, phobia, which we, uh, of course, is the Greek word for fear, and it's where we get our English word phobia from, which means to be afraid, afraid uh, to be frightened or alarmed, and uh, it, it's really important that we come back to that place where we are uh, pursuing God and having the fear of God in our lives. The modern church really knows nothing about the fear of God or the scriptures that it speaks of. You know, when I was growing up in the church, this was a common uh, verse that was read over and over again. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 19. And I'm reading it from the Message Bible because it makes it so plain and so easy to understand. It says, your evil ways will get you a sound thrashing. That's what you'll get. Anybody not understand that? <laughs> it's quite straightforward. You'll pay dearly for your disloyal ways, it goes on to say. Take a long, hard look at what you've done and its bitter results. Was it worth it to have walked out on your God? And so, there's a whole generation that has no understanding that God is going to hold men accountable for their lives. And again, in, in Hebrews, we looked at the fact that God lovingly corrects His people. He even allows us to be chastened. He even allows us uh, to, to be chastised. Uh, when, and this is speaking about Christians, because he loves and takes, uh, takes care of, of people uh, even when we do wrong. He lovingly corrects us even though that correction may be painful for us and we, we may dislike it. But God does it because he loves us and he doesn't want us to continue down the road of perdition. So we looked at Proverbs 29 and verse 1 as we begin to come near the, the end of this recap. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. God patiently deals with us and I thank God that He does wait and doesn't punish us immediately. He gives us that opportunity to repent. But if we don't repent and we and we told over and over again after many rebukes uh, and it says after many rebukes um, we will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. So it really is a Remember when God was dealing with man, he said, my spirit will not always strive with man, back in the book of Genesis. And so to defy God's grace, there's a limit to how long we can push our sin before judgment falls. And then we came to Revelation 15, 5 through 8. And this is the mother of all judgments. We saw that God alone was worthy to judge the world as creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the world. As the author of life, he is the only one worthy to judge. And when God judges, we've got to remember that He is omniscient and wise. Which means, He not only knows what you did, He knows why you did it as well. Can you say amen? Amen. <coughs> so, God is the searcher of hearts and the finder of facts. Okay, nothing escapes Him. We may fool men, but you're never going to fool God. And remember what He said in, in Nahum. Uh, he never lets the guilty go unpunished. And then we came to the end of the chapter, just skipping it down very briefly so we can move on. And we saw that no one could enter the, 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 the temple in heaven uh, because the angels had gone forth to pour out their judgments upon the earth. And that really signified that the time of, of intercession had passed. That at the time of judgment has come, there was no, no turning back. The die was cast. Um, nobody could enter into heaven and, and plead for mankind. It, it was done. And that's why uh, you couldn't go in, into heaven. And I saw that perhaps there was another reason um, that you couldn't enter into the temple. And that's because God was broken hearted. 
uh, over the destruction of the wicked, over their stubborn refusal to repent and be saved. Remember Ezekiel 33, 11, God says that he takes no, uh, no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn and live. That's, that's the desire of God's heart. Turn, turn. Why would you uh, pursue your evil ways and die? Then God is constantly calling for the picture turn. And I think God's heart's broken right here in, in Revelation 15. And uh, that, that's why they can't go to the temple because God is weeping over the stuff and refusal of the wicked to repent. So now we come to chapter 16. And uh, it becomes really important that we see that we have that understanding of God reluctantly judging an unrepentant world. Uh, that they stubbornly refuse. We saw, remember back in, in Revelations 9, do you remember uh, uh, God's judgment had, had come through the seal uh, judgments and the trumpet judgments? And the judgments were falling. And in Revelations 9, that they refused to repent of their murders, their adulteries, their, their fornications, and their death. Even though judgment was falling, they were set in their ways and committed. And we see here again uh, that the everlasting gospel has gone out and, and, and been preached. And now um, the, the final judgment uh, falls. Okay, so Revelation 16, verse 1. Are you ready for it this morning? Yes. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And the first angel went out and poured his bowl on the land, and ugly, painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped him. I wonder if we've got the the, uh, the little thing for the the, uh, the, the USBs in there. Is it on the same one as the courses? Um, uh, no, it's it, it's it's in the USB. So sorry, I should have done. Do you want to just pause that? Whoever's recording that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's it? <laughs> Revelation 16. I'd appreciate it if you could do that. It would be a whole lot quicker if Steve does that. It certainly will be. The e drive. Sorry, I meant to do that before we started. So the, the first judgment is poured out, and, and, and the bowl um, is poured out upon those who have taken the mark of the beast. It's really. Um, it's interesting that Vincent writes in his word studies, he says that each angel comes out of the throne room of grace. What's in the throne room of grace? It's the mercy seat of God. And so the angels are around the mercy seat, and they leave the mercy seat, and now they pour out judgment uh, upon the world. Okay, And uh, it's very, very important uh, that we understand that judgment. Yeah, that looks like it. Okay. Uh, no, go to B, would you? The next one down. 
Okay, close your eyes if uh, you, you don't want to see. I'll tell you why, because there's, there's something that, for the squeamish, you won't want to... Uh, okay, that's, that's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's perfect. Is that 16? Not any longer. That's great. Thank you. Okay. So remember back in Revelation chapter 5, who's doing all this? Who's in charge? This is Jesus pouring out the, 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 the judgments of God. He's the one that was in control. He was the one, only one that was worthy to open the seals. And as a result of that, out of the seals came the trumpets, and out of the trumpets come the bold judgment. So Jesus is still in charge. And it's a very different picture of what the modern church begins to understand about, about Jesus. Jesus, the modern church, is a God of love. And praise God, He is. But there's much more to Him. And so these are the seven bowls that are going to be poured out upon the first bowl judgment only relates to those who take the mark of the beast. No, 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 I've got it here. Oh, you've got it. Praise God. Read it right, no one knew. So the first bowl judgment only relates to those who take the mark of the beast. Really because it's an act of treason. They've sided with the Antichrist and God has become their enemy. They're foolishly committed to God's overthrow and destruction. And uh, so this is why uh, God judges them. And they have painful and ugly swords. Uh, broke out with the people who accepted the mark of the beast. Dr. Footbrom suggests that uh, this may be skin ulcers or malignancy. If you're squeamish, don't look now because I'm going to go on to the next slide. Okay? I'll tell you when you can look. Okay, I'm going to change it now. Okay. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those days. Technology is not... That side one, make sure there's green showing. When you're yeah, no, the green is showing. There we go. There we go. So, um, that, that is a, an ulcer on, on somebody's leg. Um, okay. So, I will go on to the, the next slide so that you don't have to look at that while I'm talking because it's pretty hideous. Uh, sometimes people think, you know, that it's um, th th this judgment is going to be a, a, a small thing, but as you can see, it can be extremely painful. God's judgment because they rebelled against him. Okay, so let's move on. Now we've got our technology sorted out. Revelation chapter six, uh, 16 and verse 3. And the second angel poured out his bowl upon the sea, and it turned blood red like that of a dead man. And every living thing, think about it, every living thing in the sea died. Can you imagine what that must be like? Uh, most of these judgments, we've seen a parallel in, in the seal and the trumpet judgments that have preceded it. Uh, but they only affected a third of the world. Here in the bowl judgments, we see God's judgment. It's like the, the seal and the trumpet judgments God was saying, look at what can be done and be warned and turn and repent when you have the opportunity. And so now we get to the end of the tribulation and people have not taken God's warning. And so the, the, the second angel pours out the blood uh, upon uh, the seas. Some people speculate that this may be a red tide and quite possibly it is. Um, or it may, it may be blood itself. I, nobody really knows until the time. But if it's a red tide, it still has the same effect. And it seems uh, that it might be possible. Uh, a red tide is when uh, there's a multiplication of plankton, an unusual multiplication of plankton, which depletes the oxygen in the ocean or in the waters 
and, and, and as a result of that, everything dies. And the phosphorus in the plankton itself is what makes the, the, the water go red. Uh, it reacts like this, and you end up with a red tide, uh, which is essentially a, a bloody sea or something like that. So that, that's the second judgment. You can imagine how when everything in the sea dies. Revelation 6, uh, 4 through 7, And the third angel poured out his bowl upon the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just <coughs> in these judgments, you who are and were the Holy One, because you have so judged. Verse 6, For they have shed the blood of your saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord, God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And so the second, the, the third angel pours out um, his, his bowls upon the, the rivers and the wells and everything. So now there is nothing to drink. It's become incredibly uh, terrible. These judgments are poured out, remember, upon the wicked, upon murderers and sorcerers, and they refuse to repent. Uh, they refuse to repent and be saved. And again, God's heart, he takes no pleasure in this, in, in this judgment. Okay. The wicked have chosen their part. They committed to evil. By this stage, after all these judgments, they committed uh, to evil. Nothing God does will change their hearts and minds. They will perpetuate evil as long as they live. When, when these ecological disasters occur, with all of them actually, uh, you know one thing, that the Lord's return is going to be very, very close. You can survive without food for about a month, uh, without water for three or four days. So when you have these massive ecological disasters, you know that God is coming to sort things out because mankind cannot survive under these bold judgments. God's judgments are completely fitting. Uh, even as the wicked cried out for the blood of the righteous, the blood of the saints, so now the wicked cry out because God gives them blood to drink. They wanted blood, and now they have it in abundance. Remember what God says uh, uh, to Paul in Galatians, God is not mocked, so whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What did they sow? They sowed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and now they have blood to drink. They refused the living waters, and now they have the waters of death to drink. And you hear from the altar uh, in verse 7, listen to this. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Just means simply this, to be morally right and fair, to be impartial or unbiased. And so God is, is behaving like, in, in the King James, it says, Righteous are your judgments. In other words, right and good are the judgments of God. All God's judgments are right and good. They're equitable. The wicked are only getting what they deserve, after all. And God is still being gracious. He can do so much more. In Revelation 6-7, I want to draw your attention to this little phrase. It's kind of interesting. We'll have a look at it. It says, I heard the altar respond. Now this could be one of two things taking place. Nobody really knows. But it could be, uh, remember in, in Revelation 6, uh, 6.10 that the, the martyrs were under the altar and they were crying out for justice. They said, how long, Lord, will you, will you, you, know, will you not judge those that have, have taken our lives? And uh, these were the martyrs under the altar and they were calling out for, to be avenged. Here, the wicked are finally, they, they stubbornly refused every God's 
uh, offerer of God's uh, mercy and grace and at last judgment for <coughs> So this could be the uh, martyr saying Justin Trudeau in ways. The second possibility, and I'll leave it for you to decide which is which, is the speaking altar could also refer to the cross, where the greatest sacrifice has ever has been made. The just for the unjust. Christ offered the, to take the punishment of every individual, every sinner, for the whosoever. And he would pay for every sin, transgression, and iniquity, both now and, and, and forevermore. This is an amazing offer that God did. He would take all our guilt and shame and completely and freely offer a pardon and forgiveness to everyone who asks it. So God offers a way of escape. Even, even at this late stage, anyone can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But they don't. They don't. The evil and the wicked scoffed and showed contempt for God's mercy. So God is just in bringing about their judgment. Revelation 16, 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and the sun was given the power to scorch people with fire. And they were seared by intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him, the scriptures say. You know, when I was living in Africa, I don't know <coughs> When I was living in Africa, I went to a place uh, in, in, uh, called Kariba, in the Zambezi Valley. It's one of the hottest places on earth. You can get temperatures of like 50 degrees or Celsius in the shade. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable. And uh, we, we, Fee and I went up there, and it actually hit that we had a day of 50 degrees. It was actually a night time of 50 degrees. And it was so hot that we would get into the shower in our PJs and just stand in the shower in your pajamas getting soaked. And you'd just stand there and try and cool down. And then you wouldn't dry off. You'd go and jump in the bed, sopping wet, and you roll around and make your bed as wet as possible. <laughs> and it is so bakingly hot. Within an hour, you are bone dry and you're back in the shower. <clears throat> this is absolutely amazing. You, we got no sleep at that time. You, you slept for maybe the half an hour when you first got out of the shower and then you had temporary... Pastor, I did that in Turkey and woke up with a flu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was sick, was sick for the rest of my holiday. Oh, shame. Whereabouts was that? Turkey. This, this is Kariba, oh. the, the Zambezi Valley. It's one of the hottest places. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry? In Africa. In Africa, yes. Yeah. yes. <clears throat> and so it, it's... Uh, you, you get so little sleep, but you know, when, when the sun actually um, comes out and, and the angel pours out the, the bowl on the sun and it gets so super intense, uh, that one of the first things that happens is that people get sunburned. Yes, ever been sunburned? Uh, it's not a very pleasant experience. And, and so suddenly it's like the, the, the world explodes. People get uh, sunstroke, they have headaches, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, and cramps, and they have no drinking water. It's all been turned to blood and nothing to cool them down. Can you imagine what it must be like? This is a truly terrible spot for us. What I find interesting in all this is that they, they understand that God is in control, but instead of asking for mercy, what do they do? They curse and blaspheme the name of God. They revile and defame His glorious name. 
even at this late stage, I believe that they were to repent and ask God for mercy. How many believe that God would, would honor that? But no, they committed to the rebellion. Sin drives them on. God has no choice then but to let judgment fall. And so the fifth angel pours out his bowl upon the throne of the beast and the kingdom was plunged into darkness. Listen to this. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. So God pours it out, out on the, the kingdom and it becomes dark. At this late stage of the empire, the Antichrist is in control of just about the whole world. And so you've got this global darkness that really is thick and oppressive and, and people are, are suffering immensely. So it's an oppressive darkness, much like in the days of Egypt. Remember when, when God's judgment fell in Egypt, they said it was an oppressive darkness that could be felt. The Old Testament prophets, surprisingly, had a great deal to say uh, about this coming day of darkness. And I, I'll just read two of them. There are many that, that we could look at. But Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 2 says this, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Joel chapter 2, 1 through 2, and verse 31 says this, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloomness, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the morning spreads on the mountains. And then we jump down a little bit. It says, The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. These judgments are poured out in really quick succession. You can imagine what it would be like to live. You'd be sunburned, have blistered bodies, dead and stinking seas all around you, rotting fish, rotting vegetation, the blood-filled rivers, and scorching heat upon the world. And through all this, mankind chooses to, to blaspheme uh, God rather than ask for forgiveness. And so God allows the judgment to continue. Verse 12 says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters were dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. As we near the end of the tribulation, how many know that there are two great events that take place? Okay, the, the, the first is the battle of Armageddon, and the second is the second coming of Jesus. How many excited about the second coming of the Lord? Amen. Hallelujah. It's very interesting. Dr. Frickdorn points out that the drying up of the river Euphrates is for the purpose of the Antichrist to gather his forces. Okay, that's why he dries up uh, the river, so that he's got space for his forces together. With the construction of the Atatürk Dam in 1983, they can actually stop the flow of the Euphrates River now and, uh, uh, and, and actually be a performance of this property. Added to that, the Euphrates River is actually drying up uh, because of the water policies of uh, uh, Iraq's neighbors. They've been, they, they're cutting off the supply to the Euphrates and uh, uh, the, the rivers become significantly smaller. They, they actually worry that it actually could be about half the size 
that it once was. So a significant change to one of the major rivers in the Middle East. All that that does is it will make it easier for the Antichrist to gather his forces together. Now, I need to say something about the kings of the East, okay? Because uh, the Euphrates River has dried up in order for the kings of the East to come. And it's become very common uh, to associate the kings of the East with China now. And, uh, and combine it with Revelation 9, the 200 million men. And so they say that this is the army now. Again, I want to <coughs> quote something because I think Dr. Fritton makes a very valid point when he, when he says this. Uh, he says, Neither consistency of exegesis nor the structure of the book of Revelation will allow for this. The 200 million and the kings of the East belong to two different judgments which must be kept distinct and cannot be combined. The 200 million belong to the trumpet judgments, and the kings of the east belong to the bold judgments. Added to this member, when we were looking uh, in, in Revelation 9, we saw that the, the, the description of this army was so grotesque that uh, it would be difficult to find one man that looked like the person described. And so the, the conclusion was that this was probably a demonic army. And so, again, uh, this is really important that we understand that this is not China. And there's an argument that, that he makes that I think really uh, we, we need to listen because to, because there's so much uh, going on that says it's China and it's the 200 million. Uh, but there's an argument of consistency of interpretation when you come to the Bible. Everywhere else, let me say that again, everywhere else in Scripture, the East always refers to Mesopotamia to Assyria and Babylon, all the time. It's always, it's always referred to as the East. So consistency of interpretation demands that this too be a reference to uh, Mesopotamia and not China. In addition to that, uh, we see that the, the fact that the Antichrist capital city, <coughs> Babylon, sits on the banks of the Euphrates River and makes a natural gathering point for his army for the kings of the east that will come in Mesopotamia. And he makes this comment, which I think is so telling. Consistency of interpretation. Everywhere else in scripture uh, that, that the east is mentioned, it always refers to Mesopotamia, or, or the Assyrians, uh, or, or Babylon. Everywhere else. So consistency of interpretation and not current events must be the basis of de determining the meaning of any given text. Think that that's so powerful. It's it, it, yeah, it, it, it would be. Yes, yeah. Persia's Iran. Yes, correct, correct. And so he's saying that that it, it, you know, let's be consistent in our interpretation of the Bible. You know, not go with current events just because China can raise up an army of two hundred million. And so I, I think that that's quite a, a valid point. Okay, moving on. Revelation 13 and 14. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. 
Here you have the trinity of hell, the trinity of evil, uh, Satan, the Antichrist, a false prophet, releasing demons into the world, and they're performing miraculous signs. What are they doing? They cons they are coercing and deceiving men uh, to, into the great battle of, of the day of God. Okay, so they they want to bring mankind uh, to the, the battle of Armageddon. Doctor Ron Rhodes makes a very interesting kind of uh, assumption here, and I think with a lot of validity. Uh, he says that he points out that all nations will be gathered against Israel. Now, I didn't understand that. I, I always kind of thought America and Britain and the good guys would, would go, come to Israel's defense. But he says, no, all nations will come to war against Israel. And if you think about it, there's a, a, a very good reason for it. Because uh, when, when the church is raptured, uh, all those who, who, who love Israel and support Israel and want to protect Israel are taken out of the world. What's left? The radical left, the loony left, who, who are really antagonistic towards Israel, who really think Israel is the big problem in the world today. And so he, he, he says, you know, that, that's, uh, and when you add that to the fact that you have demons coercing and trying to deceive the nations, that Israel is really the problem. How do you know that in the world today, many people think Israel is the problem? It's a really happening. And, and he has good validation for what he says, uh, that all nations will be gathered against Israel. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 3 says, On that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, in the context, as Israel, and I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all nations. Again, he mentions it in Zechariah 14.2. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Revelation 16.14, the last part we've just read. And they go out, the kings of the whole earth, to gather them for battle in the great day of God Almighty. So the, the world is seduced by these demonic things to, to say, hey, Israel is the cause of the problem. Really behind it, Satan wants to destroy Israel. Because he can break, if he can do that, he can, he, uh, he's broken God's word because God is watching over Israel eternally. So that's why he wants to do this. Actually, uh, Dr. Reynolds Showers makes an, a very interesting point to this. Okay? He says, the scriptures indicate that God will not crush Satan until Israel repents and believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Savior. If you look at, if you look at the overall tenet of scripture, uh, God is waiting for Israel to come to, to salvation before he judges the devil. Okay? And it, be, it becomes really interesting because uh, Satan knows the scriptures very well. You know? He doesn't believe them. But he knows them. Remember when, when, when uh, Jesus was uh, being tempted in the wilderness, the devil comes and quotes the scriptures verbatim to Christ. He knows the scriptures, but he doesn't believe them. He believes he can overturn them. So according to Satan's way of thinking, if he can destroy Israel before she repents, then God can never crush him. So if Satan can destroy the Israel's purpose, he can overthrow them. God's purpose. If he can destroy Israel, he overthrows uh, God's purposes. But praise God, Israel does repent. And Christ comes to the aid 
They come and they recognize that their, their Savior is Jesus and they call out to him and Jesus comes and delivers them. And the Antichrist and the false prophet are, are thrown into the lake of fire and Satan into the bottomless pit. But they're gathering the nations of the world together to a place called uh, Armageddon. Many scholars agree that the term, the battle of Armageddon is misleading. Because in actual fact, it, it should be called the war of Armageddon because there are many battles that take place and many things that are accomplished during the so-called battle of Armageddon. That's why it should be called the war of Armageddon. Verse 15 in, 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 this, uh, in our chapter is kind of interesting because uh, it, it's really a, a word of encouragement, a parenthetical thought to comfort believers who are going through the tribulation. And it is to encourage them, as they see the armies of the world amassing, not to lose hope uh, that, that, that Christ's return is imminent. And so we have uh, verse 15 put in there to, to encourage believers to stay in faith as they see the armies of the world gathering. The thought is picked up again uh, in, in verse 16. So they, they know that Christ's coming is imminent because all these judges, uh, judgments uh, are going to wipe out the world. You cannot live very long without water. So, verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together in a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. You know this is the only place in the Bible that this word is ever mentioned. And yet everybody knows about it. One reference, and it's right here, and we've just read it. <coughs> Revelation 16, 16. Okay. So, it's very interesting. Okay. Uh, Showers and McGee and, and a number of other scholars say that the war of Armageddon is going to be triggered by Russia coming down from the north and it starts around about the middle of the Great Tribulation. And uh, it, it, that's why I say it's not just a single battle, it's the war of Armageddon and it starts in the middle of the Tribulation. <coughs> and, and Israel is totally encompassed and caught up in, in this battle. And, uh, of course, it's going to be concluded at the end of the three and a half years when the Lord comes back to deliver uh, His kingdom uh, for us to enjoy. <coughs> okay. I just want to just give you something to think about. Just how close we are to, to this scenario being fulfilled in our <coughs> Remember, Russia is one, of, uh, is one of the main allies of Iran. And for years now, Russia has been trading military arms and equipment and technology uh, with Iran for oil. Okay. Sorry. It's very interesting. Sorry. Is that, that's why I found out when I went to Germany, you said the European NATO armies, they are very old-fashioned, and they, they didn't put lots of money in it. And Russia puts... Any money they can into their army. They invented massive new um, rockets who can uh, fight against America and <coughs> it's mind boggling what they put in their defense, called defense, you know. But You're absolutely right. I've been watching American news and one of the things that they're saying is that the <coughs> technological advancement of Russia uh, the, the Americans. Uh, they, they have supersonic, uh, yep. the Russians have supersonic missiles. Um, 
now that that uh, uh, far faster than, than anything that Aretha uh, currently has. So they're in a technological <coughs> catch-up mode at this time. But it's very interesting how Russia is supporting Iran and giving them all the arms, equipment, and technology. And in fact, this week I heard this statement on, on one of the news stations that I was listening to in America. Iran is one step closer to building an atomic bomb. Okay? And according to British, German, and French intelligence, they say the worst case scenario, Iran could have an atomic bomb within 18 months from today. 18 months they could have an atomic bomb today. You remember who ate my dinner, Dad? Um, however you pronounce his names, uh, he was the president of Iran, and he had a, a statement that he wanted to obliterate Israel, and he wanted to destroy every living Jew. This is Israel, uh, Iran's, uh, I beg your pardon, Iran's stated public policy. They want to annihilate. He's saying the same things as Adolf Hitler did in, in the Second World War. His stated policy of Iran is to obliterate every Jew from, from the world. And they're developing, in, in the process, the means of being able to do that with nuclear weapons. Could this be something that, that really triggers the end time? Could it be that Israel makes a preemptive strike against Iran to prevent Iran from developing the nuclear bomb which would ensure another holocaust? wouldn't be the first time they've done something. Absolutely, it would not be the first time. And I think that if, if you are a, a, a Jew and you're looking at, at your greatest enemy who says, we're going to obliterate you from the face of the earth and we're building the technology to do that, you've got to take that very seriously. They may be 18 months away and, and uh, uh, Israel is not going to let Iran develop nuclear technology and, and cause an absolute annihilation of the world. Could this be the trigger then when, when, when Israel goes and takes out Iran's nuclear capability, that her ally, Russia, now comes to Iran's aid. They are as thick as thieves. The, two, the, the, the Bible says that, that, that Rosh will come down from the north and invade the land. Could this be the trigger that starts the Ezekiel 38-9 war? Or could this be the, the, the end time scenario for the Battle of Armageddon? Either way, we are looking so close to the coming of the Lord. Folks, I, I really wonder if we understand just how close we are to Christ's return. We're standing on the brink of eternity. We're standing on the brink of Christ coming soon. Pastor, we have to be, I'm sorry, a little bit ignorant if we don't when we look Absolutely. at the state of the world. Absolutely. And that yeah. the church needs, needs to rise up. Absolutely. We've got to tell people about what happens. Right. Lastly, okay, so, ooh, I've been talking. So, <laughs> those are the frogs. Okay. And, 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 of course, uh, this is the, the, the threat that they face. Okay. Verse uh, 17 through 21, the last part of, of our study today. The seventh angel poured out his bowl on the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Okay? So we see verse 18. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. Can you imagine what a mother of an earthquake this is? So tremendous was the quake 
Verse 19 says, The great city, Jerusalem, was split into three parts, and the city of the nations collapsed. The cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup, filled with wine of his fury and wrath. And every island, every island, fled away, and the mountains could not be found. I think I want to move to Australia. Uh, every mountain could not be found. And from the sky, huge hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell upon men. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because their plague was so terrible. God's judgments are finally finished. What we'll see in, 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 the, in the next couple of weeks is like the fine, the fine print. That, that's the overall picture, and we're going to go into to, uh, chapter 17 and 18, which we're going to look at Mystery Babylon, and now just really fill in some of the details. But the judgments of God are finished, uh, and we're just going to see how that plays out for the, these other uh, nations. And, uh, we're going to see the Millennial Kingdom, and there are a few other things that uh, we're going to talk about in the book of Revelation. So let's just bow our heads in the world. Can I ask a question, please? Yeah, sure. Right, you know, if... When you get to this stage, when men are still blaspheming Jesus, would these be people who have been totally taken over by Satan, who have given their souls completely to him? They're certainly committed to Satan. Possibly um, many of them will be demon-possessed. You know, the Lord says in the Bible that eventually he will give people over, if Pope don't repent, he'll give them over to a reprobate souls. Yeah. Would these be the reprobate souls? I think many of them would be. I think many of them would, would be demonically possessed. I think there'd be those that, that maybe are not demonically possessed, but are certainly satanic sympathizers, uh, who have the same sort of goals <coughs> and ambitions. Um, and they certainly blame God for everything that's going on. Because, I, mean, you know, I think J.K. Baxter's book about the Lord took her to hell, and the Lord is going from place to place taking her. And the Lord is just so sobbingly sad. And saying, but I sent many people to you and you would not repent. You know, because it would seem to me, I mean, going through that, that even if there was one ounce of them still free of satanic power, that they would turn to the Lord. Yeah. So, And that, that's why prior to these judgments, the everlasting gospel is preached, uh, which we looked at the week before, so that God had the last gathering, the last opportunity to get saved. And those that re- refuse, which are this crowd are then judged by the moral judgments. But if people are possessed by demons, what chance do they have? There's no Christian around to help them. They've left it too late. By this stage, they're in trouble. It comes back to what you were saying about the fear of God. We see this stuff and we want to fear him and not be part of that. Absolutely. Because the Bible gets swept up with it otherwise. The Bible says that the Lord will, this won't happen until the Lord sends someone like us to every nation in the world to spread the gospel. To every, you know, this is why we, we, we need to do what he's asked us to do in the Bible. Eh? We, we certainly got to pre- do our part and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can see how close uh, this, this possible conflict between Iran and Russia and, and Israel is, you can see that. that we might only have a couple of years before the Lord returns. I believe that. You know, I and so many of us that are, are sitting here could actually see the Lord's physical return if you be caught up in the rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, those of us who know, we really need to, to tell people because the, the, the opportunities for people to repent are diminishing rapidly. So, okay.
It's just, uh, um, was there any other question just before we close? Sorry. Okay. Right. Father God, we want to come before you and just acknowledge that, uh, Lord, your ways are just. Lord, you, don't, you take no pleasure in the death of the saints and you've given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be saved so that they would not be judged. Lord, they, they have chosen this uh, as an act of their own free will uh, by consistently rejecting you. And so, Lord, when you judge them, you are just and righteous in all your ways. Lord, help us as we understand the, 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 the gravity of the hour that we are living in, and Lord, the, the, the imminent return of our Lord and Saviour, to make the most of, the, of every opportunity, to tell our friends and our loved ones, and uh, Lord, even those strangers that we don't know about Jesus. Help us to be bold, help us to be courageous, and to spread the message that Jesus Christ loves them and died for their sins and wants to save them from the coming judgment and the wrath of God. So help us, Lord, as we see this time. Uh, Israel has been back in the land for such a long time, since 1948. Time is gone. Lord, the age of grace is coming to a close. Help us to gather the harvest, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just give you the announcements very quickly. Um, the first announcement I, I, I want to give you, I, I spoke to Cliff this morning, and um, it, it's a, a very sad situation uh, for those of you who, who don't know. Linda um, has been diagnosed with liver cancer. Oh. And um, they, they diagnosed it so late that um, they are saying it's not even worth giving her chemotherapy um, or, or anything like that. Um, in fact, they, they were... They, a couple of days ago, they said she probably will not make Christmas. Uh, and in fact, yesterday, uh, Cliff went home for lunch, and the hospital phoned him and said, "Drop everything, get here now." Um, and um, so we don't know how much longer Linda has. Um, I went to see her yesterday, um, and she was significantly better. Uh, when, when I saw her the day before last. Um, the day before last, Linda was uh, incoherent. She was babbling, um, making the odd sentence, um, but really very difficult to understand what she was saying. When I saw her yesterday, um, she was sitting up. She was out of bed, and she was sitting, and um, she was coherent. Um, we, we had a, a, a discussion. And she prayed for us, a beautiful prayer. We prayed together and we had this lovely time of fellowship. Now, what I would like to say is um, Linda is extremely, extremely tired. And um, Cliff would love you to, to visit uh, if you're able to. We don't know how much time we have with Linda. But he said, please, please, before you visit, check with Cliff. Uh, because the last thing Linda needs is a, a yes. procession of visitors, one after the yeah. other. So please, before you go and see Linda, phone Cliff and ask if, if it's all right to go and see her. And if I could suggest um, a, a, a visit of 10 to 15 minutes really tires her out. Yeah. So just make it a real brief visit if you go and see her. 
Um, please make it very brief. Uh, I know that it would be a real blessing uh, to Cliff and, and to Linda, obviously, if you're able to do that. Um, but again, please check with Cliff first. He's going to be the gatekeeper, and some, some days he may just say, no, can't do it today, or she's had too many visitors or something. So please, don't just go to the church. Check with Cliff, I mean, to the hospital. Check with Cliff first, so that she's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd also like us to, to, uh, to we'll pray for Linda, and uh, we, we're going to pray for Linda and Cliff. We're also going to pray for those that are not well. Kathy hasn't been well. Uh, she sounded a little bit better. I've been in constant contact with her this week. And she's starting to sound a lot better. Uh, she's going to Australia on Thursday, God willing. And um, she'll be gone for, for two weeks before she comes back. So I just want to pray for those of are feeling sick. And I hope you'll join me as we lift up Linda and Cliff and Kathy and anybody else who needs a prayer for healing right now. It's just believe for a time touch for the body. <coughs> Father God, we come before you and acknowledge that you are the great physician, that there is nothing and no one like unto you. Lord, you can raise the dead. Lord, there is no situation that is beyond your ability. Your, your arm is not short to save, Lord. And Father God, we, we want to lift up Cliff and Linda right now. We're just praying, Father God, for strength for Linda. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, for, for your healing virtue. Lord, we will not give up without a fight. We will stand and we will challenge the forces of darkness with every fiber of our being. We will resist the work of the devil who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Father, we want to resist the work of darkness. We want to come and resist the work of the enemy and declare healing and health over Linda. We will believe to the very last breath. Lord, we, we will fight for Linda's uh, salvation, healing, and deliverance. And so, Father, we just pray that your hand will be upon Cliff and upon Linda, that you would give Cliff great strength. Lord, uh, it's obviously uh, very traumatic uh, for them as a family to be going through this. And I just pray, Lord, that, that your hand would, would be upon Cliff, that you'd give him the strength that he needs, the faith that he needs to believe as we fight this, this what would appear on the natural to be like a losing battle. But it's never too late with you, Lord. And we want to stand with Linda and Cliff and yeah. believe for a miracle, even at this late stage. And so, Father, we, we commit them into your care and keeping. We pray your blessing to be upon them. Yeah. And Lord, I pray that we'd be sensitive and, and, and remember to, to, Lord, seek to speak to Cliff before visiting, just that we could be that blessing. We don't want to overburden and tax Linda and Cliff too much. So, Lord, we commit them into, as, a, as a family into your care and keeping. Yeah. And, uh, Father, we want to pray also for Kathy, who's not well. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd continue to heal her, give her peace. I know that she's been extremely stressed by all the red tape and all the difficulties that she's been encountering. So, Lord, just watch over her. Healer, give her the peace of God that passes understanding. Go ahead, prepare the way that she can go uh, to her grandson's wedding and have a wonderful time with her family in Australia. Return her safely to us, Lord. Let him, let him be healed and, and healthy uh, in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Lord. Bobby, is Linda in Waitakere or is she in a different one? She's in, in Waitakere, yeah. Okay.
Um, if, if, if we're supposed to contact Cliff, um, might be best to. Could you give us her, his phone number? Yeah, sure. Have you got it? I think so. I'm pretty sure I've got it on my phone. <clears throat> Well, maybe email it tomorrow. Well. No, I've got it somewhere. Yeah, that's probably going to be the quickest, though. Um, I've got it, Guy. Uh, Lois has got it, apparently. Okay. I just can't find my phone, but I, I have got his number. 021-237-6851. Thank you. I'm just thinking that we need to do some warfare. Uh, let me also remind you that this Friday, uh, the 14th, is Peter's funeral. And uh, you have all the information that I emailed to you, the, the, the times and the, the address. So, um, if you're able to make it, it'd be lucky uh, for you to show your support to be really special. Hallelujah. If we can find... Uh, maybe Min I, I minimised the PowerPoint. Uh, the PowerPoint is on the desktop, was it? Yeah, yeah just, just on the bottom there.